So, I was just thinking a moment ago, uh, you know, we often start our service reminding ourselves that the Brea United Church of Christ is an open and affirming congregation. We are open and affirming because God is open and affirming. God meets us in every moment of our lives, wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we're doing. God meets us in that moment and calls us to our best self. And so we come on Sunday mornings as people in search of our best selves, recreating this family every Sunday morning as this family then searches for its best self. And so I invite you to be present, to still your minds, to open your hearts, to attune yourself to God's movement in music, in word, and in presence as we join in worship as a family. This morning's Bible reading is from Romans, chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. If you care to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's page 1107. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I'll invite the young folks to join me if they like. Hello, ladies. I miss you all when you're not here. It's nice to see you. Anything for that? Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. When I graduated from college, my first job after college was working for a United States senator. And it was a very fun job. Uh, He was the United States Senator from Kentucky. He still is, actually. And it was my job, uh, on some instances, to travel with him throughout the state as he was campaigning to keep his job. And we would meet with various people that were fundraisers and supporters and consultants and basically carried his suitcase. Um, But he took me once to one of, you know, I grew up in Kentucky, which is horse country. It was two weeks ago, the Kentucky Derby, and I still cry when they sing my old Kentucky home and the horses come out to post at Churchill Downs. It's such an an amazing, beautiful day. Makes me want to put a big hat on. Um, But uh, he took me to one of Kentucky's finest horse breeding farms. And boy, horse breeding in Kentucky is like the movie industry is in California. That's where the money is. There is an amazing, beautiful horse ranches covered with bluegrass and the most gorgeous horses you can imagine. And the particular person whose house we were visiting was somebody who sold horses to the Queen of England. The Queen Elizabeth of England is a, she's also an equestrian, a horse lover and she sometimes gets her horses from this particular farm. And the senator at one point pulled me over to a picture that was hanging on the wall of Queen Elizabeth. And it was a a present to the owner of the home whose house we were visiting. And she had signed it 
Best regards, Elizabeth R. And he explained to me that the reason he wanted me to see that picture was that Elizabeth R. was the most informal the queen was legally allowed to write her name. And R stands for Regina, queen. So she signed it Elizabeth R. And he said, that's like she put on that picture XXOO Lizzie. And I've always remembered that. I thought, wow, the law mandates how casually she can sign her name. Because I, you know, I, you all probably do this too, right? You're writing a note to a friend and you write whatever. Like, do you have nicknames? Do people have nicknames for you? You guys have a nickname? Does your dad have a pet name or your mom or get a nickname? Yeah, what is it? Well, Maddie and then, I, I don't know. Maddie, some people call you Maddie. Yeah. Mads. I like Mads. What about you? Got a nickname? I have Kenzie. Kenzie? For, short for Mackenzie? That's fun. See, you got nicknames. The Queen of England can't write, like she couldn't write, she legally couldn't write Lizzie. I just thought that was so interesting. Um, I mean, I guess she could, I mean, maybe, maybe, like, maybe she locks the door at night, like in her bedroom, and gets out a piece of paper, like, and writes Lizzie, 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 Lizzie. I don't know, I don't know what the Queen of England does, but that always stuck with me. And I was thinking about it to this week because Pastor Rick is preaching on, and we heard Miss Kristen read the scripture where um, God is referred to as Abba, which means Father in Aramaic. It's Aramaic, right? I think it's Aramaic. It means Daddy. Abba means Daddy. By the way, Ima means Mommy. I learned that once. I don't know where. But, you know, as we talk about what God's name is, or at least what names we use to refer to God, I, thought, I think sometimes about the Queen of England, and that names are important, and that um, we struggle with them sometimes. Yeah. And as I was listening to the anthem this morning that the choir sang, Listen With Your Heart, and I was listening to the beautiful strings music and to Jessica's beautiful piano playing, I was thinking of a quote that I heard once that said, Music is what words would be if they could. And, I, and I, I remembered that listening to the lyric, listen with your heart. I think sometimes it's great to think about what names we're going to call God. Mother, father, friend, redeemer, companion. Other times we can listen for God to speak God's name in our heart. If we are quiet if we listen to the beautiful music that fills the world, if we spend time reflecting and praying and meditating, then God speaks God's name to us, and those are really important moments. Will you say a prayer with me? Gracious God who is beyond all names, we welcome you into our hearts, into our lives, into this moment with gratitude, we thank you for inspiring us, for filling us with creativity, for calling us to be a people of peace and justice. We love our lives together and our lives in you, and we rededicate ourselves to knowing you as best we can, individually and as a family. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I get called Abba quite often. 
Of course I do. <laughs> yeah, of course my grandkids call me Papa. I love that, Papa. And uh, years ago when I had a beard that was dark, um, I would walk through uh, the, the, the children's preschool play yard uh, down to where the office is, and every once in a while I would hear, Hi God! Hi God! <laughs> No, I'm not God. You know? A little bit later, they, I, I come through. Hi, Jesus. Hi, Jesus. <laughs> That's just weird, I know. <laughs> oh, now that I have grandchildren, I go into the play yard, and our grandchild, Andy, who just turned four, uh, is in the preschool on, on Wednesdays and Fridays. So I try to make a point of it to stop by her class, give her a nice uh, smooch and a hug, and I'll probably uh, tell her who's going to pick her up uh, after, after school, either her grandma or me, and she'd be all excited to see me. Then she'd run back and play. <laughs> and then after a while, I go into the, I go into the room, and, our, and all the kids yell, Andy, your, your papa's here, Andy. And they all come running, Andy's papa, Andy's papa. And now they just don't bother with first name anymore. They, everybody just calls me papa in the preschool. And it, it is just so cute. How can I correct them in that? Well, technically, I guess they're right, right, aren't they? Who knows? I like it. I have been called many, many things. <laughs> And most of them I could repeat from the pulpit, but not all of them. And uh, there are a few uh, pet names that people have for me, nicknames. Uh, a few people call me Ricky, uh, which is my real name on my birth certificate. And usually I kind of re reserve that for, uh, as, a, as a term of endearment. You know, someone, somebody calls me Ricky that kind of brings me a little bit closer to them somehow. I'm not really quite sure. Um, now, I know the uh, book study that um, meets every other Wednesday evening over at the Hills House is working their way through a book that John Cobb just read, wrote, and uh, it's called Jesus Abba. And uh, they're kind of struggling through that book. There are parts that they don't quite understand, and so... They want me to read those parts and explain it to them, and I hope I can, but I have not read the book yet. So for those of you who are in the book study, I may or may not be any help today. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, um, if, if this text that was just read to you this morning seems confusing. Uh, welcome to Paul's writings. Uh, they're very tightly argued. Uh, he uses a language that is very difficult to understand. Uh, he makes references that we have to do a lot of background uh, uh, digging uh, to find out what the references are and, and just what the, what, what the point is and what he's trying to say. And there are some parts of uh, Paul's letters that uh, you just kind of shrug your, whole, uh, your shoulders and say, okay, well, whatever you say. And uh, this is kind of one of those times when Paul refers to um, the flesh, 
and the spirit. And so that is his basic division between those who are in and those who are out. And uh, one of the words he uses uh, toward the beginning of chapter eight is the difference between those who are in Christ uh, in the law, in the life of Christ. He says in verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and the flesh. And of course, we think law, we, we think, you know, somebody made a law to not speed in a certain place or you know, not spit on the ground or something like that. We think of the kind of legal, legal terms. And um, oddly, uh, the word law is a Greek word that comes from nous, N-O-U-S, nous, nous, nous means law. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it tends to have a Greek connotation to it since the whole New Testament is written in Greek. And uh, that can be a problem uh, because the people in the first church, those who were Jewish, knew their scriptures and they knew them in their Jewish form. And so they would look at their Jewish scriptures and they would try to do their best by explaining to a Greek audience what the Jewish text might mean. And a whole lot of trouble has come from that, like mixing water and oil. And so here we have a word law. Uh, sometimes in the Old Testament, in the, in the Jewish text, uh, they call it uh, the, Jewish, um, the Jewish Bible, or the Jewish covenant, or the Jewish text. And then the New Testament, of course, is the Christian uh, gospel. And so they're kind of laid side by side. And, and so Paul uses language that is very, very difficult to understand, uh, law being one of them. And so I'm looking around for another term that is a little bit closer to what he's kind of after is probably uh, um, more like, uh, where are my notes now? More like a field of influence. Ever heard that? The field of influence. See, this is why you get into trouble up here. It means law, but in a different way. It means like rule in a family kind of way, a rule. And of course, that's how the law is seen in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments are laws, but so is the whole book of Leviticus. They're all what they call law. Uh, we call them law, but the Jews don't really call them laws. They call them commandments or, or rules, we might say. And in the book of Leviticus, where all of the purity rules are explained, we still take them as sort of in the family kind of rules. And um, I can understand that because, you know, each family has their own culture and they have their own boundaries and uh, the way they talk to one another. And uh, each family is different in its own way. Um, I grew up in a family that, uh, that we did not have the rule to, that you couldn't put your elbows on the table when you ate. So, so I usually sit with my elbows on the table and I look around and everybody's not. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm breaking the family's rules here. And uh, that's the way uh, this is supposed to be taken. Um, the rule of the flesh uh, means just the way we go about life 
without any regard to anything other than what we're going about to do, if that makes any sense. So the rule uh, of the flesh has to do with the way we just simply conduct business. And we know that rule very, very well. And uh, for there to be money and for there to be any value to money, uh, people have to come together and agree. And so we've got these sort of informal agreements about what the rules are in our society. And um, so in the church, there happens to be sort of this kind of rule of law, um, a rule of love. Uh, but we've kind of unpacked that word love to mean respect. So that's another kind of a rule of the law. And here, the point that Paul is trying to make is that if we are in Christ, uh, we are adopted into the new family. And that new family has its own rules and regard. And so to be in that family uh, means that you all kind of go by the rules of that family. And so what that means then is that it's, it's, it's the rules by which we conduct ourselves. And it's not some sort of secret thing that we have to do a handshake and, you know, and bump elbows and things like that. It's how we all behave. We've known that all along, though, haven't we? It's all about how we behave. And there are plenty of examples in a Christian church that, you know, there are people there who live by the flesh, we might say. And we think it means, you know, our bodies and stuff like that. But it, by living by the flesh means a certain set of rules uh, that we abide by. And we have to, you know, when we go outside and drive our cars home, we have to observe all the rules of the road. And so um, that's what Paul is really trying to get at um, here. And we have a lot of rules, too. Uh, we're trying to elect a ruler right? President uh, is a ruler. Uh, CEO of a large company is a ruler. Um, the chief of staff of the army or the navy or the air force, some general, you know, they're all rulers. Uh, large companies have rulers uh, and they kind of uh, build a, a kind of a network of relationships that kind of shows itself in the way they treat each other, how they treat the customer. And families have rulers. And in the uh, Old Testament way, of course, the father is the ruler of the family. And, uh, you know, that's just the way they did, they did things back then in that world. And so um, Jesus comes along and uh, he says there's a different way of living in this world. And of course, Paul is the first missionary. If it wasn't for Paul, we would never have heard of Jesus. So Jesus gets almost all the credit for our understanding of who Jesus was. And so to be uh, in Jesus, in Christ, means to be in the present moment, actually. To be in the flesh is to be preoccupied, we might say. Preoccupied by uh, sort of mundane things, all the relationships that we have out in the world. Uh, we, we just kind of are sucked into that world. But that's one reason we come together like this on a Sunday morning is we, we try to remind ourselves how we can kind of detach from those rules for just an hour and come together in a way to see that there is another 
uh, realm of rules, uh, and they're not bad rules. I would not call the rule of respect a bad rule or the rule of love. And so here we are embodying that very thing uh, that Paul has encouraged all of his uh, new Christians to embody. And uh, so to be in Christ is to be in the present moment and being called, I like the way Michael put it this morning, uh, being in the present moment, uh, being called by God to become in the next moment. And God is kind of pulling us, inviting us into our future. And I don't mean future next week or next year, I mean future in the next minute and the next minute in this afternoon and today. So there's that process that's always going on. And so when we're outside and not in the church, there's another process that we go through in our lives to try to adapt to way, the way the world works. And we've known for a long time that uh, it's not love that makes the world go around, it's money that makes the world go around. And so we adapt to that world where values are very different than what we find in the New Testament. So to be in Christ is to be conscious and aware of what we're doing outside and be conscious and aware of what we're doing here in the sanctuary. We are kind of practicing being together. And of course, Paul has all kind of language uh, to uh, talk about that. He calls it the family of God. Uh, he calls it the congregation he calls it the body of Christ. Uh, there's so many ways to put it. Bless you. I had a time, I think I've told this story before, that um, when my daughter uh, was a teenager and I drive her to school every morning up to Brea, um, Brea High School, you know, back and forth, back and forth every day. And she would turn on the music, and you know, she turned up, and you know, she'd punch all the buttons if she didn't like this music, and it was just really, <laughs> by the time I got up to the high school, I was, you know, <laughs> like that. And, um, and, and then she said one day, she says, um, uh, can I just call you Rick? <laughs> hmm, I had to think about that for a minute. Say, well, you know, if you call me dad, you and one other person in this whole world only can call me dad. Not everybody can call me dad, just you and your sister. That's who I am to you. So if you want to be like the rest of the world, you can call me Rick. But if you're going to be uh, my daughter's and I want to be your father, dad is probably better. And so there's this language uh, that we develop in, in, uh, in the sense of intimacy uh, that we develop um, among ourselves. And so what Paul is trying to get at here is that there, uh, around this gathering uh, of Christians who um, hear the voice of Christ in their lives is almost like a family uh, gathered around a table and the kind of language that they use. I, I'd be interested to be a fly on anyone's dining room uh, wall to see how that family relates to each other over the dinner table. What they say, what they value, what, they, what the rules are and all that kind of stuff because it's very natural for every family to kind of develop that. And uh, so it's only in that context that we can get away with with uh, uh, saying, calling people different names. It's kind of like uh, Lizzie. 
Nobody in the world can call her Lizzie, right? Well, only two people in the world can call me dad. And in our little family, it's a very intimate thing. And now that we've got grandchildren around, uh, whenever I see Andy on the playground, she says, Papa! And she goes running and we, we hug each other and all that kind of stuff. And really, she's the only one in that whole preschool yard that has any right, really, to call me Papa. Um, I could sit down and explain it to all the other children, <laughs> but why would I? But there is that intimate language that we all use, and sometimes couples have intimate language of what they call each other, little pet names. And there's a way of being together that's really, really intimate. And, and Paul is trying to describe a world of intimacy. And we come here and we become very, very intimate. Um, sometimes we call each other by our last name, but hardly ever. You know, it's just Jeanette, it's Michael, it's uh, Kristen, it's Dennis, it's, it's Sherry. Uh, sometimes I forget who, you know, what your last name is. Not really. Some people call me PR. <laughs> which I love. So we are in the realm of intimacy. We are in the realm of family uh, that Paul is talking about. And when you're in that realm, you can use intimate language. Um, you can use the word Jesus and throw it all around. You know, there are a lot of people named Jesus. And you can use that name and it's a name, it's not a, it's not a title or anything like that. And uh, you can call, you know, use that name in a derogatory way too. And you can use the word God as well. But there's something very, very intimate about the family that you can't get away. Nobody else can call me Papa. I mean, if any of you called me Papa, I would say, what? <laughs> I think they do a little bit of that in the Catholic Church when they call their priest Father. But I don't get that. Um, I like the more intimate language because being called father is a power thing, whereas being called Abba or, or Papa is a very intimate thing. And anybody can call, call me by that name, but very few people have the right to it. And so Paul is letting us know that as Christians, we have the right to use, use the word Papa when we're talking about God. Does that make sense? So we're sitting around the table, we're sitting in front of the fireplace, we're sitting around a, an altar or a communion table, we're sitting together in a sanctuary, and in this context, we can call each other by our first names, and we can express love to each other, we can hug each other, we can be a little bit angry at each other, but we wrestle through it and get over it. We can be in a way that we aren't anywhere else in the world. So we come here by choice, we become part of the family by choice, and it's only in this context that Abba or Papa has any meaning for a group of adults. And so I, I just invite you to think about these things and you can read about the larger text. Now earlier, I was just expressing to Michael, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but uh, I used to think that when I left the pulpit after a sermon that I was finished with the sermon. But I figure out I'm not. I'm not finished with a sermon until Michael says amen. Right? He does so well in using way fewer words than I do. 
and getting the same point across. His poem's beautiful. His prayer is wonderful. So, Michael, would you finish? Oh, we have music first. Amen. Yet, even then. Yes. Yes, that's right.
Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for the glory of music, achingly beautiful in its expanse, an example of your love constrained only by our abilities to find new and gorgeous ways of expressing it. Abba, Daddy, Ima, Mommy, like frightened children in the night, we often call out to you in times of trouble or need. We call out as if you exist only in some out there place, separate and external from us. But like the body emerging from the soul, don't we also emerge from you? Aren't we as much God-child as we are children of clay and creature? Isn't much of our journey with you a struggle to remember who we are rather than to learn it the first time? You are in us, moment to moment, beating heart, firing mind, the purest essence of creativity yearning for expression and realization. God of creation, if we were silent and instead the rocks cried out to you, what name would they use? Is the answer nearly as important as whether we would listen at all? This morning, as your family, this is our prayer. God, who is beyond all names, help us remember who we are. Inspire us to move beyond our individual concerns into a place where we are collectively your united family, bound together in the realm of intimacy, knitted by our dedication to let go of greed and selfish concern to rather co-create a community of cooperation, mutual concern, and thoughtful servanthood. United as your family this morning, we pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I invite the ushers forward to receive this morning's offering.